So we're going to head into the partners. This is the after lunch difficult session where you're not allowed to fall asleep. <laughs> but for you as church planters, we've done our friends' leg, now we do our partners' leg. Um, the, the lines between the church planters, between home life and church life and work life, is home life, is church life, is work life, I get the feeling that they're very blurred. And you, above all couples, need to be good partners in the work. More so even than, say, a couple who just starts up a business and works in it for a while to earn money because that's just their work. It's not their home and it's not their life. But would I be right in that, that life is work, is home is life is work? So we need to learn how to be great partners. So for a start, um, in your page 10... I'm going to get you to do this a little bit different. It is a group talk, but first of all, with your pens, if everyone's got a pen, if you could answer in your own words for you, what do you and your husband or wife do well working together in the home? So that's you know how you've dealt your task lists around what goes on in the home. And then the second one is, what is your biggest challenge working together within the church? And I'd like you to have time to write your own answers first and then I'll tell you when it's time to meet together as a group to talk about it. So it's on page 10 and you're writing your own answers first. Alright, I'm going to call you to attention again. If you could turn your chairs around. And face us. Okay, thanks for the buzz. It's great to hear you having lots to talk about and hopefully in a constructive manner. Not that Scott and I are church planners, but we're certainly partners and we have to work together a lot. Um, last year we did a little role play, which lots of you thought was fun. <laughs> um, and we're going to do another one. <laughs> Um, because we're going to try and meld the two things together. So when you have a difference in your relationship that affects how you work together, how do you bring that issue up and how do you really get to the bottom of it? Um, again, we're going to try something that I'm going to bring up an issue to Scott. Again, it's always me. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. See, on the weekend we ran Marriage Matters at, for our church and he got to have his turn. So it's my turn again. But the way we're going to do it again is on page 11, which a lot of you may have seen us do last year, called Pillow Talk. And last year you didn't get a chance to have a turn yourself, so this is the warm-up for you. I've chosen an issue that I want to talk to Scott about the way we work together. And so I'm going to be the sender. So I'm the one who's going to hold the pillow now, unfortunately, I also have to hold the microphone, which is going to be difficult. But anyway, I'm going to try and explain to Scott the issue that I have. And I'm going to talk without interruption about it until I think he's overloaded. <laughs> and I'll pass the pillow over to Scott. Then he's going to try and reflect back to me what he's heard. And we're going to go back and forth with the pillow until I actually go, yes, you've got it. It's quite difficult because I don't even know if I've got it yet, <laughs> but I'm going to try. And then after we're finished, you guys are going to get a chance to try as well. Okay, so you have to watch so you know how it's done. All right, here we go. It's a real issue and he has no idea what it is. So the, the point of this one isn't to actually resolve the issue at this point. It's just to listen to it. So it could just, and how you apply this, it can be when you're solving a, a conflict or a problem that you've got, but it could even be one of the differences you've talked about. So whatever is something that you're saying, oh, look, I just think we keep going over the same old ground all the time. It's probably, you know, no one has that problem, of course, but when you're going over the same old ground, it's probably because your partner doesn't think you've got it. They don't think you've got what the issue is or what the problem is. So this is an opportunity. It's a skill. This is something that you can all learn. 
It's not easy to learn, and if you persevere with it, you'll get it. But this is a skill that you can learn that you can use for a whole bunch of stuff whenever you just don't think your partner's quite got it. And I'm really reluctant to let this microphone go. <laughs> Leave me. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> the difference between you and me that's causing me a, a hassle is your gregariousness, your real over-friendliness to the point where you think we can be friends with everyone in the whole world. And the way it plays out for, for me is that I just can't cope with that many people. It just seems that you have an, a never-ending bottomless pit of the number of people that you can have in our lives and I just can't do it. So your Facebook is just way too full. It takes you far too long to look at it. Um, and I go, why are you trying to be friends with all these people? But that's one little issue on it. But on the same thing, the way it impacts me is you um, think that we can squeeze all these people into our lives. So you meet people, for instance, this is the one thing, you meet people at a course, we have lunch with them, you like them, and the next thing I know, I'm getting an email to say, hey, Scott invited us up for the weekend and I've got to try and fit them in. And that's true. That happened from the last course we went at. And when I got that email, I just looked at it and went, wow, do you not understand how packed our calendar is? Do you not understand the, the amount of work that is for me? But it's just that you can't stop yourself, to, it seems to me, to be friends with everybody. That might be enough for the moment. So really, there's no problem. <laughs> so, so no, 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 no. So, so this is a difference. This is a difference between us because it's something that's about me that I'm, I'm very friendly and gregarious, and I like to uh, maintain relationships with people and and extend um, what we can offer to them, which is part of what we do. And um, but where you're having a problem with it is is that I'm trying to fit too many people into our life as well and into our already packed calendar. Um, yes, but the thing I, that I want you to think through, the difference and the way it's impacting me, is that I feel that the way you're doing this, trying to be everything to everybody. So this young couple that we met on the course, I don't think we'll have any contact with them into the future. So when I see them, I go, nice couple, had a nice lunch, see you later. Because there are friends in our lives. There are long-standing friends. There are people within our church. There are things that we are deeply involved in, which I think will have far more impact than offering a weekend to a couple that we really can't fit in and that we really probably will never see again. So the difference is I would prefer to spend deeper with fewer than to be spread so thin across so many people that you feel you can touch the lives of them all. I don't think you think about the longer term of can these people be part of our lives really or that's my perspective that it's... I know it sounds awful, but it's a waste of time with people who are going to float in and out. That's how I feel. Let's spend more time with the people who we can have a real impact with and we can spend more time with. So the issue here is that you're, you're feeling that we need to concentrate on the most important part of the relationships in our lives rather than scattering us ourselves too thin. And so with my difference being that I like to make friends with people and make offers to people that, that sometimes they take us up on, that that crowds, that crowds out our life and means there's less time for the important relationships. So you're saying that's the, the issue 
the issue at heart. So there's a difference there. The difference is my nature, but how that's outworking in the actions that I use, I do with that difference is it creates an issue within our relationships that we have within our family, that it's too crowded and we can't fit everybody in. Yes, mostly, but it's not just the family because we have long-standing friendships or people that we want to invest in that when I try and fit them into the calendar, like we try and invite someone over for dinner and they're busy and we're busy, it can be like three months out because of a lot of these other things in the calendar which I just don't see as that important. But I feel like I'm going to let you down if I don't. You're going to say you're not hospitable enough if I don't say yes to this young couple who are still waiting for what weekend they can fit into. And so it makes me feel that I'm being really inhospitable, which I don't think I am. So I need you to understand that difference between us and you want to tell me more. Okay. Yeah, I, I, think, I think I've got it. So you're... So your concern is that oh, now it's just gone. Uh, no, 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 no. It's not just family, but it's um. No, it's gone. Oh no, you got to say it again. I think it's that you said, "Oh, well, it's just because we can't fit the family in," and I said, "No, it's the deepening of relationships with the people." Um that you've got to understand the crowding of the calendar. So you want me to be the gatekeeper of this rather than you because you don't want, you don't want to be the bad guy saying no to these, to these relationships. You want me to curb my enthusiasm and, and to not provide this hospitality as, as much so that you're not the one that's, that's the bad guy. Because you're the one that has to do it, because you're the one trying to fit it into our calendar, because you are the, you hold the keys to our personal diary. So you want me to accept responsibility for that rather than you, where that's been caused by my difference in nature. Yes, and above all that, I just want you to, to value that difference in me and not make me feel like I'm being inhospitable when I feel that we do a lot of hospitality, which I just can't keep up with your level of it. So understand my need for a bit of space, a bit of time with us, a bit of time with the family, a bit of time with our good friends and help not crowd it out with peripherals. So you don't want me to give you a hard time because you don't want to fit them into the calendar? So I want to, I want I want you to understand I want you want me to understand that difference in you and to value that the fact that you're not as gregarious as I am. Yes, and this is taking a long time, but that's almost it. But value that, value that that I am hospitable. Don't look on me as being you know just because I don't want to take up everybody that I'm inhospitable. You're a really hospitable person. <laughs> See, he can't even do that with me without playing to the audience. <laughs> okay, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to do. Um, I hope that was a little bit helpful for you. Maybe it's an issue you have within yourselves. I don't know. But it is an issue for me. Um, I would like you now to look at that page seven and... Move a little bit away from your groups of six. You're not going to solve anything either, but you are going to be given time to just have a turn at listening. Okay? So you don't have a pillow. So it's page 11. No, page 11 in mine. Yeah? Couple talk, pillow talk. So instead of the pillow, could you please just put both books together and pretend that's a pillow. The reason I'm doing that is that only one person has the book at a time, okay? So put both books together. Decide who's going to send a message and who's going to receive it and reflect back. Allow the person with the books to talk without interruption. Then you pass the books over and say, have I got it right? Do you have more to say? 
back and forth until, like we did, you say, yes, you've got it. Okay, can you move your chairs away from each other a little? We'll put the music on. There's some people wanting to bail. (laughs) Stay with it. Now, it is important, can I just say, it is important that whoever is receiving, as I was, the role I was playing, whoever is receiving, you're not allowed to put your own criticisms, defend the position or whatever. Just reflect it back, okay? Just make sure you do that. Okay, that usually first time feels the most like the most awkward, horrible thing to have to do, or you just laugh all the way through it, one or the other. But it is quite powerful, and the reason for this is until you feel understood about your perspective, it's very hard to work together towards any sort of solution. None of us likes to be working towards a solution to something that we don't feel the other person has got yet. So even though it feels awkward and feels just abnormal, it can often break that horrible cycle where you're just like tennis players whacking balls at each other and you're more treating it like a we. Help me understand how you see this is a really good phrase. And the other one I really like is, Be curious, not furious. Be curious, not furious. If your partner has something to talk to you about and you say, I'm curious about that, help me understand how you see it, I guarantee you'll be having a better night's sleep than if you just start at each other. So, yeah, maybe you didn't solve anything that time. Maybe that's frustrating. Let's have a bit of fun at the end. Getting close because you need to watch this. I'm sure some of you have already seen it on a YouTube clip, but it's well worth watching, laughing at, and then we'll wrap up that part. It's just there's all this pressure, you know, and sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head, and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on talking to It's not about the nail. <laughs> but of course we know it is about the nail sometimes. And again, we're sorry, we're only going this deep this year. But next year, if you come back, we'll talk you how to talk about the nail and actually get a solution to some of these things. But you've got to listen first. You've got to be heard first. So you like that one? It's a YouTube clip. Just search. It's not about the nail. <laughs> I thought I'd just throw together a few things that couples, church planning couples might have trouble with. You guys need to move over a little bit. You can come and do it. And I don't have the answers to this lot. Scott and I don't have the answer, but we thought we'd just share with you a few of the things that we do. 
What I've heard from so many couples is uh, ministers and other people that we've talked to is the situation where a wife ends up saying, you never told me that we had six people coming for dinner or I didn't know we had to be out at that meeting by 8am or you didn't tell me, I didn't, he didn't know that you were going off to visit your mother. And so the actual living daily life as partners is quite difficult. Um, I'm sure if I ask for hands, maybe I will. Who's ever had that happen? Yes, most people. <laughs> um, the clash of the calendar, the working out who, who decides what, what goes in, when does it go in, what takes priority, how much can we fit in the calendar. Obviously that was an issue as also with Scott and I. But we used to have it worse than we do now. <laughs> we used to have that problem worse than we do now. And so Scotty might just talk about how he set us up technologically to help us with the calendar problem. I think most people these days with a smartphone are working on a Gmail account. Most you, and, and I don't know if you know it or not, but if you do have a Gmail account, then you can put calendar entries into your Gmail account, which can then download onto your phone. And you probably know that because that's how you're getting your calendar entries there now. Okay? So you can get your calendar entries up onto the Gmail account by physically typing them in because Gmail's got quite a good calendar entry thing and you can put the calendar events in there. But you can also upload calendars from, if you're running Outlook or something like that, you can usually export the diary entries from there and then load them up into, into the Gmail so that they're all up there and you don't have to retype them. Yeah? So that's a good thing. The other good thing about Gmail calendars is that you can, you can have more than one calendar. Now, this doesn't mean so you fit twice as many things in. It does mean, though, that what you can do is I can, I can export Kim's calendar from her Outlook, upload it into her Gmail account, and then I can share her calendar with me. So on my little smartphone here, I can go to my calendar and I can see my calendar and Kim's calendar online at the same time. Is many people doing that? Good stuff. Okay, so, it's, so it is widely used. If you're not doing it, it really is quite simple to set up. And it even shows me when I look at the calendar because like my entries are blue ones and Kim's entries are red ones. So I can then, if they're too busy, I can just say, just show mine, not Kim's, and I can see what I'm doing and I can just refer to hers if I want to. So that can work out really well if you're wanting to set aside... Um, you know, you're, you're out in a meeting somewhere and you want to be able to say, well, can I go and do that? Well, then you can have a look at what your partner's doing. Yes, I can. So I'll book it in and then you can invite them to the, to the diary entry for them to confirm or deny. Now, that all sounds very impersonal, doesn't it? But it actually works quite well. And we also find that if you have a regular time together, maybe once a week or something, where you sit down and you get your calendars together, then you can look at, okay, so what are the things that are coming up? What do we need to prepare for? And how can we make sure that we don't overbook this area because we've got this other big stuff coming up? And so you can coordinate that. But then when you do have these other events that come up during the week, then you do have access to each other's calendars to be able to know whether you might be able to fit something in or rearrange something. hope that's helpful. Any questions on that? Or anybody got any better ideas? <laughs> you can actually output it to a spreadsheet. <laughs> but that doesn't work out on the phone so well, mate. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I might answer that because it's not hypothetical. <laughs> it happens all the time. Um, oh, really? <laughs> so there is the chance to invite each other to things on the calendar. So I'll put something in, invite Scott. He's able to decline that with a reason why, if he thinks that's not going to work, and I'll do the same thing for him. Now, at that time, we don't get up, you know, off our desks and start, you know, shaking our fists. I want to do this and you don't. We actually just go, okay, obviously there's reasons for that. And then in our planning meetings, which we do have, we'll sit down and plan what's coming up. Then we can talk about how that's not going to work or that is going to work. So there's a lot of inviting and accepting. Inviting and declining goes on in our, our little rooms that are only this far apart. 
but we find it quicker than going and talking about everything all the time. The thing that really got Scott crazy was how many interruptions I would make of his day simply by asking him things. So, you know, I'd, I'd think about it. Oh, I want to know if we can do this. And I would, you know, go down and say, can we do it? And his head's somewhere else. It's like, I don't care, I don't care. You know, it was easier to invite him to it and simply, like, you know, um, invite him to uh, dinner with the family at a boca or whatever and have him decline it or accept it. Or, you know, Salt Church invites us down to do something like this on a weekend and Scott goes, nah, I can't do that. He'll send the email to me and I'll work out where it can go in the calendar. I'm far more over our peaks and troughs than Scotty is, as you could tell by our pillow talk. He'll accept everything. Everybody, invite him and he'll come. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I know... I'm just such one of those guys. I know the know. peaks and troughs that are happening in life a little bit more than he does, and I think most women do, because they've got their fingers on a lot of other relationships as well. It's not just work. It's not just the next thing that looks exciting. So peaks and troughs, we try to... We have a very, very busy year between April and September and, um, and we try to have the holiday in October getting ready for the very busy summer festy type stuff as well. So one of, one of you has to work through peaks and troughs as yeah. well. But, but the dangers with peaks and troughs, if you're a, a high-functioning person and you like to sort of pack a lot in, is that when you do have like peaks and troughs in a normal job that you're doing, when you get the trough, you're sitting there going... Yeah, and you're going, I could be doing something now. And so what you do is instead of taking the break or doing something else like doing some reading or, or something to sort of fill in, you actually take on another job that has its own peaks and trough cycle. Um, anybody guilty of that? Yeah, everybody. <laughs> and so what I've found is that quite often you'll have, you know, peaks and troughs going like this, but they're working on different amplitudes, if you know anything about your old... And so what happens is you'll have a long, slow curve and then you'll have a quick one and then you'll find amazingly five of those peaks will all line up at the same time. Yeah? And you're just absolutely frantic and you can't even think straight. So that's something that's really important when you take on a new job. Really think into it and think forward the next 12 months and work out what are the, what's the amplitude like on this job. Now, how often is it going to hit me? And, and make sure, and when are the troughs going to be so I'll know what I can, and if you can get things to line up um, so that they're counter-cyclical, that's absolutely amazing if you can do that. I haven't pulled it off yet, but it's great if you can. But just be aware when you take something on, think forward into the commitment that you're giving to it, unless you happen to be sort of sitting next to a nice couple and you invite them up for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> And again, taking breaks, we've sort of alluded to it. Who's, who in the couple is working out the breaks when they need to be had? How often? You know, do you need one longer holiday, a couple of short breaks through it? We want you guys to have a chance to talk about those things now, not I'd, solve them. But, I, but just before you go to that, this is really important, taking breaks. Um, Kim is the keeper of the keys in our relationship for taking breaks because she's probably more attuned to when I'm overdriving than what I am, yep? Because I will just keep going. And the problem is when you keep going, you don't realise how stressed you get and you don't realise the problems that generates even in the work you're doing. You're just not doing it very efficiently. So um, if that's you girls and you can see your guys are burning themselves out, then maybe one of the things you have to talk about in a pillow talk or something is just determine, can I be the keeper of the of the relationship here and, and book the holidays in a regular basis when I believe you're going to need them. Yeah. So for example, because we know that our May till September is just flat tack with everything that goes on, Kim always books something in October which is a break for it. But she books it 12 months in advance so it's in the calendar because she knows it's going to happen. And she knows that we're both going to need a break by that time. And it doesn't have to be anything special just a time where you get away and just detune and relax, whatever that might be for you. And then she's also very good in being able to book um, three different types of holidays a year for us. One where it's us and our family, so us and our kids, if that's at all possible to coordinate these days as they're getting older. But us and our kids as a family, so as a family we go away. Another one where we go away with us, family and our friends so you go away with friends as a group. 
But there's also another holiday which is just the two of us. Every year we go away just for the two of us. And those, those diary, calendar holidays are booked in for the whole 12 months before the year starts. So they get the top priority. And some of them are just a weekend or a night, so I don't think we're always on holidays. But we do have good ones. So you have your couple talk, the next one, after pillow talk, just the two of you. Um, could you just talk about those, th those four things, just whether you think, yep, that's going well, or let's look at that and have a plan for a different thing. Okay. Okay, another good chance with more stuff to talk about if you didn't get through it. <laughs> You're getting through it a lot, aren't you, Chris? <laughs> All by yourself? <laughs> it's easy. Marriage, isn't it? <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were on your own. <laughs> I'm going to say it is easy if you're on your own. <laughs> and we've got a couple over here having such a good time. Who is it? <laughs> okay. The danger, of course, when we talked about the blurry lines between home, life, work, church, home, life, work, church, is that you just become very, very excellent teammates, especially if you're in the collaboration stage when you're dealing with lots of kids as well. You know, have you become such excellent teammates that there's not much else left in your relationship? Well, that's why we move on to the Yo Mama session, as we call it. Lovers. <laughs> what is sex to a marriage? What is it to be lovers? It's like the oil in the engine. Yes, a car is a car. I guess a car is a car even if it's sitting up on blocks in the backyard. But it's not running as it should. And your love life in your marriage will greatly impact the rest of your life and your ministry. And so it's an important thing that we do at Geneva Refresh to help you within your marriage. Okay, but first of all, we're tackling an easy subject. Within your group of six, not sex, in your group of six, group talk four in your book says, if you were an alien who had only movies to understand the mating habits of humans, what messages would you get about sex? Quick buzz session with your group of six. What are some of the messages you'd be getting from movies about sex? Throw them out. It goes on for two days. It goes on for two days, okay. It's more fun with strangers. It's more fun with strangers. Married couples don't have it. Uh, not with each other anyway. Ah, no correlation between sex and procreation. <laughs> Young attractive people do it. Interesting. Very passionate, always on the spur of the moment, never planned. A lot of noise. <laughs> and the biggest one or well, one of the biggest ones you haven't mentioned is, and the girls are always hot and ready for it. Aren't they? Aren't they always? <laughs> it's, it's interesting, the different messages. You might need to turn around for a bit too to face me because I'll talk for a while now. Um, the messages that we have from movies has changed so much. Just for interest's sake, in the, in the TV era, I know you know this, um, you were never allowed to show a man and a wife in bed together unless they were actually married in real life. So when we grew up, the only couples we saw in bed on the TV were Lucy and Desi Arnaz. I love Lucy. I love Lucy. And the other one you probably would never have heard at, Ozzy and Harriet. They could sleep in the same bed. But, you know, Dick Van Dyke and Laura, Mary Tyler Moore, they weren't allowed. They had separate beds. There was one in your era probably more likely or closer to your era, the first couple ever to be shown in bed on TV that weren't actually married 
had six kids, yeah, the Brady Bunch. So that's where things changed and changed hugely. Um, But mostly we don't think of married people having very good sex and we think mainly we don't understand the differences between male and female sexual desire and it's very easy to confuse what's really happening. I'm too little to stand like this. Well, don't. It'll pick you up. <laughs> okay. Right, move on to the next slide. What happens for a young couple as they, especially Christian young couples, so this may have been your experience and it will certainly be those in your churches, when they head off for um, their marriage, they've usually got a huge pent-up store of desire happening. For the girls, it's like 12 months engagement is like 12 months of slow roasting the woman. She has all five love languages going really strong. She thinks she can't wait to get her hands on this man, and often that's true. But often it is also true that that pent-up desire, that young love desire, is not going to last 34 years of marriage. It's the start and hopefully a good start for you. But a lot of young couples, a lot of young women especially, will feel very disappointed within the first few months of marriage, thinking they were so hot and so ready and had so much desire, and where's it all gone? In reality, they've probably just landed back where they were before that 12 months of slow roasting happened. And that's their natural level of desire but what happens when that that happens and you find that you don't have as much desire for sexual relations as you thought you did usually the woman but I've talked to enough groups to know that it also can happen for the men too and they will struggle with that let's listen to a clip from a not so normal pastor (laughs) Mark Gungor, on this particular subject, see if you can see it, it'll be important, on desire or no desire, that is the question. It is your job to be a lover to the girl. And I'll tell you what, this whole desire thing really has a lot of couples stressed out. Uh, because we've always heard, uh, you know, all of our lives, and all the books, and all the sex education, this is how it works. You know, desire... leads to arousal which leads to sex right we've all heard that great only one problem with that it's not true for millions of people particularly women there's some guys this works for them too and and they really struggle because they you know man I should be this way but a lot of people they're not a lot of women exhibit Little to no desire at all. And then they feel badly about themselves. Because they think, well, I should. I should. Who told you you should? Some stupid textbook? Who cares? I have discovered, asking couples and and interviewing them, that, you know, this whole desire thing. A lot of guys, yeah, she's she's just not ever interested in sex. She doesn't want to have sex. And I I said, really? I said, well, let me ask you a question. Will she have sex with you? Well, yeah. Well, what's she like when, when she does? Oh, she's incredible. She's incre- In fact, I've actually come to the point, I don't have any data to support this, but just, uh, you know, from, from, from the couples I've talked to, but I've come to believe that some of the most sexual people on the planet exhibit little to no desire at all up front. In fact, a lot of women who are incredible sexual animals are only feel like, who only feel like doing it when they're doing it. They don't lead with this big desire thing in front. Now stop and think how that changes your view of yourself. Because right now if you think, well, gee, I never feel that much, there's something wrong with me, then you develop a negative attitude about sex. See? And a lot of guys get angry at their wives because, well, she never initiates it. She never, she never wants, well, who cares? (laughs) Who cares? I promise you in my house, I am the initiator. I am the initiator. 
I will initiate. And then I'll be back. This has really got a lot of people messed up. I'm telling you, a lot of women, this is just not there until you start waking it in her. Okay? So you've got to learn to be a lover to the girl. Learn how to awaken the desire that is in her. Don't worry about this desire thing. You see, you know, I'm waiting for her to have all this desire on front. Stop! You're going to be a very old man before you have sex again. <laughs> I just decided to to focus in on this one subject of the desire thing and the mismatch of desire because I think it's a very common one. I don't want to call it male-female because I think in the stages of your life it can change. Why all the jokes are about sexually frustrated young men and sexually frustrated older women. So you'll probably face this issue at both ends where one has a high desire and the other one has a lower desire. Let's understand the difference. Okay, the next slide, that's what he said. Okay. Between high desire assertive and low desire receptive. What's it like to be a high desire person? This person is always thinking about sex every day. Not necessarily having it every day, but thinking about it. It's on their mind. They notice things. They notice, unfortunately, in our bombarded society, too many things. But they're keen for it. Okay? It's very uncomfortable for a high-desire person to go without sex for too long. They'll get cranky. They'll get antsy. They'll start to be picky. And the closeness between the couple starts to be strained. Because for the high-desire person, they're anxious about when they're going to be having sex again. What's it like to be a low-desire person? A low-desire person hardly ever thinks about sex. It's not uncomfortable for them to go without sex. Physically, it's not uncomfortable. Mentally, it's not uncomfortable. They just don't think about it. But as Mark Gungor said, does that mean they don't enjoy it? Not at all. See, the high-desire person might be very assertive in pushing for more sex, but the low-desire person might just be receptive. Our own sex therapist, Bettina Arndt, puts it this way. Once the canoe's in the water, everyone's happy to start paddling. (laughs) In other words, if you ask a woman does she want to go canoeing or a low-desire man, not really. But if I'm in the canoe, I'm happy to paddle. I think that's a really healthy thing. I know for Scotty and I, at one stage in our, in our 34 years of this topic, um, you know, I'd, I'd often come to the end of, of us having lovemaking and say, gee, that was nice. That was really good. I really enjoyed that. Why don't we do that more often? (laughs) Because it wasn't at the forefront of my mind as much. So a low-desire person may still be very receptive. And if that's your situation, who cares? As long as when you're in the canoe, you're happy to start paddling. Certainly if you've got a low-desire, withdrawn and unavailable person, then that's going to be tougher for you. And that's when you might need some more professional help than what we can go through here. But I think that understanding of high and low desire is an important thing for us all to get. That's a difference that does affect us, affects our way, of course. But what do we do if that's our situation? What can we do about it? Do we just, that's it? We're going to struggle with this for the rest of our lives? Well, some couples do. Okay, but we do have in your book two on page 14, a couple of answers that at first you might go, oh, they sound terrible. But I've got to say, I've been counselling couples too, and they work. They're worth trying if this is a situation for you. The first answer is to just say yes. Now, that's obviously the low-desire person who has to be gracious in this. 
Um, what we're trying to do is lower anxiety. Okay, so if you're on a diet, what is the only thing you can think about? Come on. Food. That's right. If a high-desire person feels that they're on a diet when it comes to sex, that's all they can think about. But as in a diet, if you knew that food was readily available all the time and you could eat what you like and you'd never put on any weight, well, your anxiety is lowered. You're able to just live with that because you're not worried. You're not anxious about where the next meal is coming from. So if the low-desire person in the marriage can actually say, look, if you'll be compassionate and gentle with me, I will always say yes to you. Can you tell how that anxiety would be lowered? Right? Now, it scares the low-desire person out of their wits, basically, because they're thinking, oh, no, if I'm just going to say yes all the time, this is going to be on all the time. Hopefully you're careful enough with each other to realise that the high-desire person needs to back off a little so that the low-desire person is willing to say yes more and more. But what it does, it just lowers anxiety in both. If it doesn't work like that, you just find you start playing silly games with each other. You start staying up late hoping one will fall asleep or just being too busy or just trying to work it out. But the high-desire person ends up asking much, many more times than they expect will be answered if they don't think the answer will always be yes. So they start thinking like this. Not going to get a yes first time. Might not get it second. Better ask every day this week so that my strike rate, I might land on the fifth time. Yeah? So the Heidi Butzai person is starting to go, I've got to ask five times before I get a yes. And the low desire person is going, you know, how often is he going to ask? And I've had women who've explained to me, I don't get time to get desirous because he's asking so often. Maybe if he wouldn't ask so often, I might have a bit of desire. But I don't get a chance. So the just say yes lowers the anxiety that way to to allow the couple to get into a better flow. Okay? The second answer is to schedule sex. Sounds nothing like the movies that we just talked about. <laughs> Scheduling. Now, look, if everything's going well for you in the desire way and you just meld and mesh, you won't have to worry about this. You won't have to worry about just say yes and you won't have to worry about schedule sex. Enjoy it because it may come at another stage of life. But if it is a problem, scheduling sex is not such a bad idea. It actually lowers anxiety too. So for the high desire person, they go, well, Tuesday's coming. <laughs> I can wait. Saturday's coming. I can wait. And how is the desire... Hold on a second. How's the desire, the anxiety for the low desire person helped? Because they're not going to bed every night wondering when the hand's creeping across the bed. So they can prepare. They can prepare for Tuesday night or they can prepare for Saturday morning or whatever it is. And they can know that on the other days, I'm not going to be pushed for. I'm going to get a chance to get into a flow of my own and maybe I'll start feeling more desirous because the anxiety is down. Okay? That, that's all it's doing. It's lowering anxiety and helping a high-desire and a low-desire person to work together better. Now, it sounds unromantic, but if it's a, if it's a problem, it's a good way to start. It's also, it's, it's also a good solution because quite often if you don't know when it is going to happen, then what happens in a relationship is the affection levels drop hmm. because you're not willing to be affectionate to each other because the low-desire person might be worried about where that's going to lead. But if they know that it's only going to happen Tuesday night or Saturday night, then they can relax a lot more about showing affection, cuddling and kissing on the intermediate days. And that can actually help with raising the desire level leading forward towards the day. So in every stage of your life, 
if you're going to wait for it to be sex only happens when I feel desire for it, then through the blending and nesting that might work great. <laughs> but it's not going to work so great through self-affirming or through collaborating or through adapting. And it might work again in renewing, who knows. But I think there's a better way to talk about our sexual lives. Desire is not going to be the greatest thing to go by. Duty is going to seem very unattractive. And the just say yes isn't meant to be duty, it's meant to be a loving response. But in the long term, over your long life as a married couple, you have to be, decide to be sexual just by decision. Making a decision that we're going to have a sexual life because when we promised ourselves to each other, if some of you use the really old Anglican words, I think it's with my body I thee worship, meaning I give my body to you. I never understood those words way back then. <laughs> but the Bible tells us that we are to serve each other and no one else can meet your husband's sexual needs and no one else can meet your wife's sexual needs. No one else should. And so where do they go if you don't? If you don't take that seriously? Taking it seriously is by working out, let's make this a decision of ours and let's work with these desire problems and let's try something different so that we can continue on having that oil in our engine that's going to give us a great marriage and help us within the rest of our ministry and our life together. I hope that's been helpful to you. Now, we have really run out of time. So the couple, the couple talk that's in your book is on different sexual aspects of your life. And there's a lot of boxes there that you're not going to have time to talk about now. But I'd like you to take the time to just jot down perhaps something that I've talked about now or some of the other things in your life that you would like to be able to chat with your husband or wife about. We'll just give you a minute to do that, tick or cross them, and perhaps some other time you'll get to have pillow talk about these things. <laughs> <laughs>